This is Ginger Donnell, host and creator of Broken Boxes Podcast. I have had the immense privilege to interview over 70 artists over the past three years. This project has been so dear to my heart, and I'm truly humbled and grateful for all of the incredible people who have taken the time to be vulnerable and share their stories on the platform of this podcast. This episode will mark a six-month break I will initiate in this project so I can regroup and take time and space to gather more interviews, edit them, upgrade equipment, and connect with more artists and movements in a way that feels authentic and respectful. On a personal note, as a mother of two young children, I have begun approaching unschooling or a kind of like life schooling, focusing on some really intense life choices, allowing my children to love learning and be able to navigate the world in a way which respects them. And this journey is radical, scary, and my partner and I are really excited to focus on our children a bit more holistically which seems to be quite a strong way to walk the walk in caring for our future and how we hope it to perpetuate in a radical and inclusive way. So for this episode before our break, I was going to make a collection from all of the interviews I have done to date. And I began and got to about episode 30 when I realized there's no clear way to edit down the content of each episode. Each artist is speaking in such a beautiful, long format and unapologetic way, sharing such important and critical information. I just could not edit the episodes down into sound bites, and it was making me feel horrible to try. And so I'm not going to do that for this episode. For this episode, before I take a nice break in publishing work, stories, interviews, conversations on this platform further, I'm going to share with you a pretty special recording of a live feed from earlier this month at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Artist Christine Howard Sandoval and artist Chinupa Hanska Luger visited the Metropolitan Museum of Art's new exhibit, Art of Native America, the Charles and Valerie Diker Collection. The two artists engaged in a live stream critique and shared the experience on social media as it was unfolding live. The two artists were joined on site by the guest curators from the Nelson Atkins Museum, Gaylord Torrance and Marjorie Alexander, along with the Met's Director of Public Programs, Marie Robles. In reflecting on the experience in her social media post about what happened during their live critique. Christine Howard Sandoval explains, the museum mobilized responsibly and the conversation about how the museum is for the first time starting to engage with indigenous art is raw and honest. They have so much work to do as the major museum of art in this country. Now I realize This is an audio recording of a live feed video of an experience viewing an exhibition. So it may feel a bit hard to follow along, but I feel it's worth the journey if you're up to it. Also, I will post links to the original video along with resource on the exhibition and resource on the artists Chinupa Hanska Luger and Christine Howard Sandoval 
on the website's episode page at www.brokenboxespodcast.com. I felt sharing this live feed broadcast would be a wonderful segue into the more in-depth, concentrated content I hope to begin intercepting into this project. I really want to find a way to follow more closely with a project or approach that an artist is examining and present a more journalistic way of sharing story and concepts. This will take time and travel and equipment upgrades, etc., etc. And so this break will allow me space to find these tools and refresh this work. I do feel this project is critical. It is an archive of existence, but this project breaks the colonial lens which these stories of my peers are oftentimes focused through. And so I would like to continue it. I really want to continue this work, but I would like to step it up many notches and recalibrate. I also wanted to put out there that if you are a person of color, an indigenous person, a queer, trans, two-spirit, gender non-conforming person, an activist or feminist person who centers people of color in your work, and you have content you need a platform to put it out on, email me. While I'm on this break of producing, I would love to allow this airwave space to be utilized by anyone who needs it and has the skills and energy to edit together an episode to share their information. If you need this access and want to share something on Broken Boxes podcast, I can put up your content on the podcast for you anytime over the next six months. Email me at brokenboxespodcast at gmail.com and I can fill you in on the logistics of how I could support this. I'm serious. So I think this is the longest I've ever spoken on a podcast episode of mine. Um, so thank you for your patience. And I am in gratitude and solidarity with all of the artists and activists whom I've had the privilege to engage in this project and with all the listeners who I may never meet. I believe in you and I believe in us. Luger here with Christine Sandoval. And we are gonna do a live kind of like interpretation of the Diker collection and really just the, the Met's American way. Um, and I think it all begins as we were talking about it, I think where we where we first have this conversation. Oh, let me apologize for shakiness on all of this too. I'm holding this one myself. Um, we're looking at this sculpture by uh, Augustus Saint Gaudin. I don't know how to pronounce that, but they don't know how to say my name, so I'm fine with it. Um, of Hiawatha, um, and. Here they've started up a thing which I think is I think it's good to have this like native perspective in response to the didactics um, uh, today's native perspective is brought to you by Jackson Wallace um, and you know once again it's it's the umbrella of native perspectives and we're talking about Hiawatha and the, you have to speak Oh, and the native perspective we're engaging with is is um, 
you know, part of that umbrella, which is always, you know, it's a good start. I think we could go a little bit um, deeper, but I know this is like a place to begin. But primarily the thing that I wanted to engage with is that there is a romantic uh, projection of native people and there's a move for settler colonialism into like a state of innocence and uh, celebrating uh, uh, a Native American man in his, what is it, uh, uh, pondering and musing in the forest on the welfare of his people um, is like, it's a really beautiful way to, to begin this conversation. And this is a uh, Italian sculptor, perhaps, French, maybe? A European, so... Yeah, European at sculptor. At this time, American art was not recognized uh, in the Met and definitely not in North America. So most artists went to Europe and they studied sculpture or any of the traditional arts through a mentorship. Um, and so any one of these statues would have been commissioned by a wealthy landowner, business owner, a banker. Um, and so we'll get into that um, in terms of that kind of interpretive um, form and what it means today now that they're bringing in the Diker collection to the American wing. So just to give a little bit of history, the American wing wasn't brought in um, until later after the Met uh, opened. The Met was primarily all European art. Um, and then uh, American, uh, very rich in America, recognized that it was important to recognize in the Met American culture. So they brought in the facade of this bank, yeah. um, which I think is a really important entrance. We can maybe move in, let this be our way of moving into the space. Um, so the facade itself is the facade of a, of a bank, um, and that holds the entire American wing. The American wing has never had uh, indigenous art made by indigenous artists. It's always had uh, pseudo representations of Amer uh, Native American bodies, um, usually in some kind of form of conquest. And so it is establishing a very specific narrative um, about the disappearance, the so-called disappearance of indigenous people in North America. Now, uh, I think five days ago, uh, the Diker Collection, which is supposed to be the most extensive uh, collection of Native American art, was just brought into the Met and has been specifically uh, installed in the American Wing. So we are going to go into the American Wing yeah. and check it out. And another thing that I wanted to say is like, um, it's fitting that it's in a bank and a vault you know, there's all of these interesting connotations around uh, where wealth is is seized and hidden. And the fact that we're going to be entering into a bank to engage with that, I think it speaks volumes on um, land as wealth and control of narrative and land and people as like reinforcing that. Um, and also, like, I'd like to show these like pillars um, that exist here, like you know, the Americas is a mound and period, uh, pyramid place, you know, like, um, the stacking on pillars really kind of like undermines 
um, the awareness of everything that's underneath your history and and these sorts of connotations in the context of architecture. So, with that being said, let's go into the vault. Awesome. <laughs> I also want to um, state that neither one of us have seen the Diker collection yet, so this is a completely raw um, <laughs> response to the collection yeah. in situation. Okay, here we go. Let's go. Nor have we ever really done live feed. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, we're in the period rooms. Um, I think we can go straight, but we're getting a sense of the colonial context of the American wing. I recently brought my students, my first year undergraduate college students here to study the period rooms and study the paintings um, in preparation for coming to look at the opening of the Decker collection. Um, so let's check it out. Take out the light from your camera and no videos. What was that? Take out the light from your camera, please. Oh, sorry. No videos. Oh. Okay. I didn't know that the light was on. Sorry. Uh, yes. They really don't want us to do a live feed or any video. So we might have to take our conversation to a main area, but we'll see. Yeah, mine actually shut off. It went, it paused due to poor connection. Yeah. Oh, I know. Let's just, I'll record audio. Okay. That I can do easy. So here, I think it's important to uh, start with the Southwest, of course. <laughs> um, you know, starting with traditionally what is thought as um, the center of Native America, we'll start with the Southwest. Um, yeah, notice how it says Papago. Tono Odom, Akimo Odom, that's like, these are... Southern Arizona. Um, these are all kind of geographical um, locations of tribes according to the kind of categorization of the museum. So I think it's could be interesting to talk about that. Well, it's I'm now not seeing those type the, the like native perspective on any of this. Yes, so we're not seeing um, Jackson Hollis, who was brought in by the museum to create a kind of alternative didactic text for the work, um, otherwise called as indigenous perspectives. Um, that's not here in the Diker Museum. Yeah, I guess there's like a, 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 broad, a broad one here. 
right? The brutal Spanish colonization began in the southwest Pueblos in 16th century, the Apaches, the Diné, warred with the Spanish and other colonial New Mexicans and later Euro-Americans, 18th century. Disease took its toll on Tono Otam and Acamal Otam in the southwest Arizona and the resiliency of native peoples of the southwest is rooted in a great perspective for the inherent responsibility to care for one another, the land, the animals, and to adapt to change. We've, we've never seen it, so we're still going to... We're wondering why Jackson's voice wasn't brought into this, this area. Um, so uh, the way the, the, the label project was actually throughout the American uh, so if you, if you go into um, the rest of the, the American collection, um, yeah, you'll see more. You'll see the not in the not within okay. the collection, not okay. within the, the exhibition. Okay. exhibition. Okay. Yeah. So it was basically to have the native perspectives throughout the week. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious to check that out too. So yeah. So Alan, Alan Michelson, if you if you see uh, Washington crossing the Delaware, yes. That he chose. Yeah. I can't remember offhand. That whole room is just ripe for conversation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Alan's actually going to be here tomorrow. Oh, great. Um, leading a discussion. Going to try to come. Okay. I usually teach. Okay. Day, but I have okay. like a break in between. Hi. Hello. <laughs> nice this to meet you. you. Hi, this is Marisol Robles. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. This is Marisol Robles. Uh, she is the director of the education program. Okay. Is that correct? Public programs. Public programs <laughs> specifically. Um, and has been a key part in organizing this exhibition and has met us here on a Sunday afternoon. We're so lucky. Yeah. And so here we are. So I got a question. Yeah. Um, do you know why, just as far as like public programming and engaging with people, why they would uh, put in the parenthetical like not names of the people? You know what I'm saying? Like that's, it's, it's almost saying, you know, it, it's putting words into Brian's mouth. And I know it's so that people could understand who the, you know, derog but like these, these are derogatory, you know, in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. often cases. And it just gets reinforced. And that's, that's kind of problematic. I, I, I feel like, especially to do it like here and then to put it, put it into in his place. words as well. Yeah, um, I don't know the specific, uh, this specific panel, but I do know that the overall exhibition had an advisory of three, uh, of six people overall, mm -hmm. three non-native, three non-native, and so they helped to bring the entire, like all the decision making around these types of questions were you know, as a group. As yeah. Well. But. That's a weird one to get through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Okay. But I'm wondering. gonna. Yeah. I, I can find out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm gonna... oh, sure. Sorry. Um, and the other, the other question around um, sort of Jackson and Allen and and sort of the label project that mm -hmm. um, is throughout the American Week. So if you go up to the second floor. You'll see that those, okay, so they're responding yeah. to like American artists, exactly, and exactly. not necessarily like historical imagery yeah. from Native people. Exactly. So okay. it's a breaking of the narrative, which is something that we're super interested in introducing mm -hmm. at um, the museum and doing more. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Alan Michelson, just to point out, is Lenape and. Jackson Paulus is clinkin. So those are the two perspectives that we're getting yes. for the indigenous perspective. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is an important th conversation to have. Mm -hmm. Why aren't there more tribes being represented in the didactic text? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, particularly people who were affected by the 
region. You know, I'm like, Clinkets didn't get hit by settler colonialism from that standpoint exactly. until way later, you know. Mm -hmm. Even, I live, I'm from the Plains. Yeah. It wasn't until like late 18th or late 19th century that they came up into our hood, you know. Mm -hmm. And our engagement was through military. I mean, we're looking at the Battle of Little Bighorn right behind us. Yeah. Um, and so these are, there's all these different And there's people <laughs> that all over. Yeah. Yeah. This so let's. Yeah. It is the. Okay, so it's continuous. It's the continuous. Process. Yeah. I think so. We've never done this before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a very new thing. It's amazing that in the depiction of this, you recognize um, that relationship with, like horse nation not as a tool or vehicle but are like you know he rendered them suffering the same as the people mm -hmm. you know yeah. um, and yeah. like you yeah. can tell very specific things happen yeah I mean look here this horse this is enemy horse with with broken legs here's one of the Lakota horses and wounded like it's important that that was brought in to the conversation there's custard full of arrows, which is amazing. Hi, <laughs> how are you? How are you? Christine. Christine. Marjorie, nice, nice to meet you. Well, if it's something like winter count and like ledger drawings, there's a part of me that thinks that, I mean, as far as it existing in a space, might be better to, the less you describe it, the more it has to say. You know what I'm saying? And now it only means this much, you know? So if it was nothing, then you're forced to interpret that through this. And that is why it exists, is this is a recollection of that and you have to work at it. You know what I'm I think saying? That's really, really so interesting. Mm -hmm. And do you know Jamie Powell and no. Dartmouth? She's you know her. Mm -hmm. She has talked about that as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, about some exhibitions that didn't have the didactics. So Any people were just engaging yeah. with the pieces. And everything you're saying is so interesting. Yeah. And you don't we... need to leave an expert by reading three paragraphs about the work, you know what right. I'm saying? You get to leave moving towards understanding rather than getting a gold star for knowing what it's all about, you right. know? Right, right. As an educator, I do want to just push a little bit and, sh and say that overall, it's nice to have something in terms of didactics to help visitors. Mm -hmm. um, because, oh, I, I understand you know. why. <laughs> just to give a little, you know, as, as we, um, this art is new to many visitors, and so it's really helpful to actually have something so that there, there's a way to move through. Mm -hmm. I just want to push back. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. and exactly. I think, you know, in response to that, it's like, who gets to tell that story, you know? Um, and like I said, a lot of the expertise, a lot of the scholarship is dependent on our terminalness. It's also dependent on ethnography. And so when we look back at the sources of information um, that come from anthropologists like H.P. Harrington, for instance, who was very active in um, documenting the Chumash and many other tribes, um, we think about what was the agenda of that information. It was science. It wasn't an intimate and insider knowledge of 
what the symbolisms were, what the point of having an oral history was, or even in looking at the formal aspects of a depiction like this. Which, yes, it has to uh, be filtered through has that Western gaze. It has to be filtered gaze. through not just art and art, Western art gaze, but a scientific gaze. Yeah. Um, and so when I look at, for instance, this the painting exhibition room in the center where Washington is crossing the Delaware, and you look at that entire installation of that room, it tells a very specific story of conquest in a celebratory tone. What that says visually as an installation tactic is beyond the didactic text. It's beyond anything even that a singular work does. It is the museum's uh, kind of uh, approach to exhibition making that I want to talk about as well. Um, so yeah. that's one of my questions. And in bringing in the indigenous perspectives, which is uh, Jackson Polis's, who's a friend of ours, um, did that amazing text. Also, Alan Michelson, Lenape, who's from this area. Um, there needs to be more indigenous voices. Um, one of the big problems of the way that North America, contemporary North America, understands indigenous history is that there is one kind of singular all-over perspective of indigeneity. And I think having only two male perspectives from two different tribes is really problematic. And I don't see why someone like Matt couldn't uh, bring and do more work to bring more diverse indigenous voices into that project. And maybe that calls for an ongoingness of doing that as as like an educational pro uh, program. Yeah, could, could we kind of walk you through what we what the advisory yes. committee and everybody, yes. the educators, have tried to do here? Wrong. Let's go back to the beginning, and we'd love your input. Yeah, yeah, we'd be happy to. Okay, I'm going to. And hopefully I don't cut you guys out again on the live stream. I'm trying to talk, think, and record. <laughs> Cultural significance or historical significance. 
-hmm. But I think, uh, you know, we, we come, our history is based on a natural history paradigm, which right. you were yes. referencing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in basically natural history museums, they were trying to record a culture stuck in time, um, and they presented what I, what's called often material culture. Mm -hmm. And I think it misses the whole point that within native cultures, there were brilliant artists. Not everyone had the same abilities. And I think simply adding the name, the word artist, uh, is saying a great deal there. Uh, yeah. Anyone that has worked in a native community understands that uh, there was uh, respect and regard for everybody that produced work, but that there were those that were exceptional, those that were inspired in a variety yeah. of ways. And that's that's how the Dikers have collected, and that's really what we're trying to present, mm -hmm. is, is artistic achievement. The other, is, the other kind of founding element in this was to say that these works were created against the backdrop of Euro-American colonization. colonization. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and our, our, our intent really everybody's intent really was to bring forward this continuum that you know all of this happened but native peoples these are living cultures these are their these are the ancestors of living cultures this is the credit panel over here that shows all the um, contributors not separate from living, you know what I'm saying? Like in a lot of our languages, we don't have that word, you know? And honestly, like why you would engage with um, the hide in this way to make it so lovely is a way to give back to, put more in than you've taken out. And if you take a life, you gotta put a lot back in in order to make that right. And that's, that's, the, um, that's like the, the driver, rather than aesthetics, the driver is how can I make a greater effort, even if you don't have the skill sets. And like you said, some people do it beautifully, you know, and others don't. And oftentimes that became an economics, you know, where it was like, what can I trade you so that you can do this for me because you have a beautiful hand at this, you know? But conceptualization is based on the fact that these hides are not cut. Yeah. They, they, they reflect back to the living animal. Right. And the connection between the wearer of the stress, the maker of it, the animal from which it comes, and that connection which is ongoing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all part of that giving more, right? Like this. One question I had actually is Mari, you posted that there for the first time the Matt gave a land acknowledgement. Yes, yes. Which And how did you arrive at the land acknowledgement? What was the process of that? Sylvia, yeah. Sylvia Young, the head of the American Way, she spearheaded this, and she worked with the Lenape, I think it's called the, the Lenape Center. Center. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they, the, 
it's fuller on the other side, and they developed the language for it. They, there's a quote from them mm -hmm. there, and then there's the Mets acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then they actually came and did the blessing mm -hmm. um, on Monday night. It one was, of the blessings. One of the blessings. There was a special dinner for Native dignitaries from around the country who came in to see the installation before anybody else, before it was open to the public. Mm -hmm. And the people from the Monopoly Center were here and did a blessing, along with some people from the Northwest Coast. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, um, now that the Met has done this, which mm -hmm. I think changes somewhat the mission of the institution in a way, yeah. right? It's Especially, yeah. it's yeah. very it's exciting. exciting. I think yeah. I mean, as somebody who's worked in museums, is a teacher, is an artist, yeah. I think it profoundly changes the, you know, just the mindset of the institution. Do you think that this land acknowledgement will be brought into other contexts, will live beyond the Diker collection? I do, yes, mm -hmm. I do, and that's something, it's, it's uh, raised awareness internally and also has provoked a lot of conversation about sort of how we acknowledge the land within programming overall, yeah. And Brian Bayo, who's on the advisory committee, he's from Santa Fe and mm -hmm. the Acoma Pueblo, mm -hmm. he came in and did a training for MET staff, for anybody who wanted to come, about how to interface with uh, Native peoples who were coming to the Met, and, and everybody was surprised at how many staff voluntarily came. I mean, yeah. that's excited yeah. about what's happening. Yeah, I mean, this is a 10 year commitment. Okay, so yes. Exciting. Yeah, no. it's not one, just a one thing I would say, too, is right. that uh, although the Met has shown Native American objects before, this is the first time they're really jumping into this. Yeah. And so when you, when you, when mm -hmm. in the American wing, and when you mention yeah. the painting and the baskets relationship, that moment was really the beginning of an ongoing dialogue that's going to be developing here. Okay. Uh, between the Met and indigenous people. And uh, they are, Sylvia, her colleagues are looking for all sorts of ways to develop that. Uh, we will probably expand our advisory committee. I think we will have probably a major symposium mm -hmm. of Native and non-Native uh, people, I think within the next three months, mm -hmm. to talk about the direction of the department generally, programming, all of that sort of thing. Mm. So, um, Is that there, something open to the public? I doubt that it will be. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not yeah, part of the public, so you can invite me. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a citizen. Yeah. No, no. Um, one, I mean, the thing that I'm, I really like about that is that we are talking about this work in response to colonization, yeah. but like that this is an abrasive process, like right. existence. The, we grind up on one another, and there is dust that gets transferred back and forth. And I think it would be fascinating to look at some of the American artists and recognize the appropriation and influence of like having collections like this and actually having scholarship to go and look at the collections that maybe the native people didn't have the chance to and how that influenced like modern American art and really you know, created a springboard for yes, modern American art, we're situated right next to the Frank Lloyd Wright, which I think is a really interesting juxtaposition here. Is that an intent? The Dikers are also principal collectors of a movement of painting in the 30s and 40s called Indian Space Painters. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that? Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, that, it's a very, very interesting connection there. And uh, 
those painters were looking at native cultures, I think, in the most respectful and reverential way, and, the, and they were appropriating like crazy. And then on the other side, I mean, you go through this and you can see a lot of appropriation by Native American artists looking at Euro-American mm -hmm. ideas and materials and all the of dust. that. And, yeah, the uh, dust. The and dust. basically, the pockets. basically, basically yeah. taking, taking yeah. ideas and using them according to their own traditions, their own communities, okay. that sort of thing. Okay. But this, this, is the, this is really the beginning of all of this. Right. And we're stumbling and bumbling, you mm -hmm. know, in any in many ways trying to learn, trying to mm -hmm. bring yeah. people in, trying to know how to do this, so. Uh, the fact that we're standing here, yeah. even in this situation, is blowing my mind. It's blowing mm -hmm. my mind. Oh, uh, honestly, like <laughs> really, like I've walked through spaces, I've tried to get like, is there someone who we can talk to about this problematic language? And there has never, it was like, you can talk to a docent and they will show you the door, you know? Um, so this is, this wow. is amazing. I love <laughs> this. Amazing. I love yeah. this. Come and look at one of the text panels and give us sure, sure. Okay. So we, okay. we started with the wood ones. Oh yeah, definitely. So here we are at the Woodlands talking about Indian space painters. Talking about art and yeah. then Jill Dopfler from the White Earth giving a statement about to say that you know these culture areas no longer apply today people live everywhere right. people live everywhere now two-thirds of native people are living in urban centers right yes and actually new york supposedly has the most dense native I've heard that's what we've I've heard yeah so it's yeah. constantly being remapped but yeah and you know obviously because of diaspora from all different tribes are you from here no i'm here? from california no but are you living here i live here yeah I would be fascinated for the extension of this conversation all the Into way. Mexico yeah, yes. Central America. That is so important. Uh, I, I was looking at statistics as far as recognition of indigeneity to the Americas, and it turns out we are the second largest population in the world, which if, you, if, if, if we truly looked at the umbrella of, you know, Native Americans, you know, North and South, Canadian, Mexico, everything in between. Yeah. That's great. And I think also acknowledging um, a hemispheric indigeneity, that, that it's not constrained according to borders that were put in place by uh, colonization, but that really, we, I think you know, we should acknowledge in the mapping itself, and there's been plenty of indigenous artists who have done maps of North America, Central America, Canada, um, who can give you that kind of alternative image of 
the indigenous mapping, which I think would be, you know, since we have the kind of logic of in the didactic text of the museum statement and then an indigenous voice, that I think that kind of has to move throughout the exhibition in a way. And I think mapping is a huge part, remapping is a huge endeavor of indigenous people mm -hmm. um, in just in general, especially in the art world. But. That's really interesting hearing you talk about that Jolene Richard is quoted later, and I know she's worked so much on global yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. indigeneity. Yes. Yeah. Have you seen these quotes in the center section? Not yet. Yeah, we just, we just restarted. <laughs> At the beginning. I just want to call on this art and gender panel. Mm -hmm. yeah. At the end, we're saying that these traditional roles, you know, many artists now have set them aside today and explore new modes of artistic expression. Yeah, I think, I mean, even to the thought, our existence is resistance to these things, you know, it's yeah. like, the fact that we're here really just reinforces that endurance, you know, exactly. over time, and like, 2018, you know, yeah. still, still get to have these conversations, you know, still have to, you know, Maybe say we, we are alive. We start to hear each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I think also we're beginning to communicate amongst each other in a way that is different, you know, like um, the internet has shifted all of that and like your isolated experience on the res can be talked about Yes. reinforced, engaged with, and tactics can be developed. And I think a lot of the um, gender roles in these sorts of conversations are some of those tactics to, to like, recognize our, our unity without homogeny, you know? Um, which is interesting. I mean, really, what binds us together? The fact that we were all colonized, the fact that we are all still, like, trying to come out of colonization, and the fact that at the center, the core of our thinking is a relationship to land and a tie to a specific place. So I think, but other than that, like there's such diversity of so many perspectives that are specific to the ecologies, the politics, the neighbors, the, you know, uh, climate change, all of those things that uh, are other forces of survival that yeah. we felt, right. you know. Yeah. And so. that, just what you said there, that really was the foundation for this, for all these regions to say, and they are tied together by colonization, all these people experience yes. colonization at different times in different forms, etc. And Jamie Powell and her council, she was so, um, the, the whole idea about all of these native cultures being distinct, you know, the variation of, of all of the groups and that that is something that hopefully comes through in some way just visually here. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just to go back to our earlier point around around the, the label project and the American Wing exhibition as a whole, um, I, there there were more artists involved than just Jackson and on Allen. So I just want to clarify that. that oh, it wasn't okay. Just them. Okay. So there are other well. voices exactly. in the didactic uh, text exactly. as well. Exactly. Wendy Red Star. I'm yeah. Trying to remember some I know. Yeah. <laughs> Remember some of the other? No, because we weren't directly involved with oh, that. Okay. Because yeah, that's Sylvia Young's project. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So.
So has this been donated to you, or are you exhibiting this collection? Donated. Gifts, promise gifts, and a few loans. Mm -hmm. So basically, the Diker collection is foundational to presentation of Native American art at the Met. Because of its comprehensiveness, one thing. I mean, they didn't set out to collect much like a natural history museum, one of everything. No, they were aesthetically but driven. They were sure. driven. And so there will be, for instance, we have three hoods uh, simply because they love that form. And uh, on the other hand, there are other significant forms of expression that are not necessarily represented in the collection. So it's, it is a private collection. But it is very, very comprehensive in a sense. I wonder if they ever. It, one huge leap that I think would be amazing mm -hmm. is the opportunity for people to feed their ancestors. Is that something that you guys, you know, is that a possibility that could be led into? Say that again. I didn't catch that. To feed the ancestors. Okay. Like, I mean, right over my shoulder, and I'm like even hesitating to look at it because I don't know where it, you know, I don't know its story. Mm -hmm. But its story is has animus, you know what I'm saying? And so now this exhibition and object is no longer glass, but a prison. Mm -hmm. And they need to be fed. They were designed to be fed. Um, even over my other shoulder, there's a, there's a dagger, you know? This isn't a meat-cutting knife. This is, has, has purpose, you know? And I wonder, I wonder about, like, I, I, I've heard the story multiple times when we start talking about repatriation, like, you know, if we give these back, they're going to disintegrate or, you know, I don't know if you have the capacity to house them and all that sort of stuff. But I think an institution with all of the funding around handling, art handling and whatnot, could facilitate a feed for them, you know? I think if there are requests, if, if uh, Sinchon or Tlingit yeah. peoples come and say, we want to... Um, we want to feed these objects, um, treat them in a way that's proper. I'm sure the Met will be receptive to that. I mean, we are at the Nelson Atkins. And, uh, but this is also something that, you know, neither the Met nor the Nelson are the National Museum of the American Indian, right. which has an enormous staff to handle all sorts of things. Right. And also a huge body of people with knowledge that are right in the institution. So I think a lot of museums are trying to kind of make their way uh, and to do things properly and be responsive to Native people. So I think if there are requests, I'm well, sure they'll be honest. One example that I think is really interesting, and actually Raven Chacon was able to go into a very small fine arts center in Colorado Springs and they have a collection of indigenous cultural objects. Because he was brought in as an artist in residence, he was allowed to interact with a piece, like a, a sound making piece that was from, I think from his culture, um, under right the observation of the institution itself. but you know, bringing artists in as residents, indigenous mm -hmm. artists, maybe to activate those through research, through knowledge, and maybe that will even change and yeah. feed, but change also the text, the way that the museum learns about those. There's mm -hmm. got to be learning, right? right? Yeah. There's got these need to be activated for more learning on the part of the institution, I think fed in the way that you were talking about by people from those tribes. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And 
And that's, that's one example of how. Yeah, it's yeah, been and I think be careful with artists too. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I've had, I have incredible privilege that? and have access to spaces because yeah. of being ridiculously exceptional, like yeah. insanely exceptional. Yeah. I don't have the capacity to perform certain ceremonies and rituals, so no. don't limit that conversation and residence yeah. to artists, is what I'm saying. Yeah. No are. single voices also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also excited to say that we have a public programs fellow, so mm -hmm. like looking at our museum practice as a whole that just started this week, yeah. uh, who is, also, is, is thinking about, her practice is both as an artist and as an art historian. She's working on her PhD uh, around decolonizing museums and she's indigenous. from the Art Gallery of Ontario? She's from the Art Gallery of Ontario. Who's so. doing a whole exactly. project about that. Yeah. So we'll be looking very closely um, at this exhibition, obviously, to get her time. How to looking give at the program. land back to the Lenape. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great to get there again. He's going to quote us. I know. <laughs> they said it. They said decolonization. <laughs> they're, clearly, they're talking about wow. giving up of land. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really the project. <laughs> like we have any power. <laughs> Oh, you do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you do. Um, are there other parts of the installation that we should talk about? I think we should look at these quotes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's do that. I, I meant as individuals. Oh, as in, yeah, as individuals, I know. Not as no, not as, not as, as yeah. the institution. Right. But oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to plug myself You're here. Yeah, right. You exactly. helped put together the exhibition. Right, right. 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 So. Well, and that's, and Just is, your that's presence an amazing is shift right now. in yeah. relating to yeah. so uh, a lot of work, you know what I'm I saying? Not, <laughs> I mean, it's done to uh, European art, you know what I'm saying? Like that process of objectification through brick and mortar and institutions as being that source is really undermined a lot You're not looking at the aesthetic value alone, you're looking at the animus, you're looking at the life that exists within it. And it's like, well, what we can bring forward here is the materials with which things are made, processing of those materials, the actual creation of the work is often as, is as important as the finished product. I mean, I mean all of in that, my opinion, more so. It's a, Art, art is a verb, not a noun. It's, so it's, it's really um, a far more integrated, um, you know, profoundly deep process than I think a lot of people have recognized in the past. And that's really one of the messages that we're trying to bring forward mm -hmm. as well. I was saying, I'm not trying to plug my essay, but the basis of my essay <laughs> is that these things we'll are... Link it. These things, <laughs> that these things are alive. Yeah, you are. In various ways, depending on the traditions of the cultures and the communities, but uh, they have to be seen as living things. But I think that was Chinuba's point, in that if they are to be seen as living objects, then they need to be activated in the ways that, in some ways that they were intended to be activated, because right. a living traditional object is made very specifically for a purpose. And so... Providing the communities want them want to engage that way. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, often some of them were buried because they were done with that and they found their way back into the world, you know? And and then suddenly now you have this extended relative that 
hasn't released that back into the world so that new things can be forged from it, you know? Um, and sometimes that knowledge has disappeared too in like even knowing point. how yeah. to deal with these objects. And so I know that that's a huge project in North America is just to decolonize ourselves really um, and our knowledge and our the way that we enact in ceremony and even the songs and the language. There's a whole language project as I'm sure you're known amongst many different tribes. Um, and so that, yeah, that's a lot. It's a, it's well, very complicated. Yeah. I also think like, you know, like there, there's one thing to talk about things having life and that's really easy. But, and that's also theory, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you turn theory into practice? Um, and that's, that's that, I, I can think about wonderful ways and solutions, but they're not, you wouldn't know until you practice it, you know? So that's the tricky, that's that tricky, complicated, complex next phase, right? I think to make this work out to make the that an object is still alive, is so far, so distant from how most, you know, mainstream people think about the work of art. They, they, it's not a, it's not an adjective that people would normally choose. And it's my sense that if you, if you say that about something, you change the way people look at it. Yeah. Well, how can we change the way the institution looks at it? Because if they are alive, they are in prison. Well, well, now, I mean, that raises the huge question of should they be in a museum? They have to be behind cases. Yeah, yeah. Or people would be wearing them because people... Oh, I... Are you talking that's, about these that's cases amazing or are you because talking about the institution itself? I would be. Of course. You know what I'm saying? Like, not even... Because that's its function. That's how it completes its life, you know? But, so, for Chino, sure. but when you say these objects are in prison, do you specifically mean in the institution or literally in the glass cases or all of it? Just the presentation of these well, if objects? We, if we're talking about life, yeah, all of it in every aspect. It's it, it, When they're not exhibited, they're boxed and they're placed in other spaces, right? Like it is very similar to our prison industrial complex, you know, mm -hmm. but this is ancestors that unfortunately can't die from it. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no, and there's funding that goes into preparing them and protecting them, and but there's no feed, so it's a lot cheaper and you can do it for over a, a lot longer amount of time. And that's, maybe you can do it so long that you forget what that object is, you know, you forget, you lose a clan and a relationship to holding that and performing the way to feed it. So there's, when we start talking about life, I think we start talking about, it starts opening up and, and challenging a lot of our, um, our systems, you know, a lot of the systems that we've, which, we've, which system? I mean, which not, which system? Uh, institutional, institutional systems, maybe societal practices, you know, maybe all the things. Even education. Education, think, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, land ownership. I mean, it just starts going in. If you, sure. you know, how can I own two acres in New Mexico if I truly believe in this life aspect of everything? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is the... How problematic is that in, a, in an indigenous worldview to think that you can own something rather than belong to something? And I think a lot of these belong but are owned, you know? 
and, and, and we start looking at all these different ways. I'm just thinking that the complexity <laughs> just folds it's, open it's, and open. Things are very open. complex, but I would say that, um, you know, when things move into an institution like this, and given the changes that have occurred in just the dialogue between Native peoples and institutions, that we're redefining what it means for it. It's to, this is no longer a place where things are held and owned and Native peoples don't have access. Right. And uh, That's all changing. Hmm. And I think that... Uh, it is $25 to get in if you're not local. I mean... It is. <laughs> that's problematic. <laughs> that's, well, but, well, I mean, that, that moves... Poor in. people, that is problematic. Yeah. It is problematic. <laughs> uh, the Nelson Atkins happens to be free. Mm -hmm. and, and the dominant culture is about owning. Mm -hmm. And the dominant culture is about so, owning. There's yes. no question of that. But what we're trying to do is shift that into something else, a different, a different sense mm -hmm. of what it means for an object to be in an institution. And I think uh, making objects available to Native peoples mm -hmm. for whatever ceremonies mm -hmm. or whatever kind of uh, revitalization is needed is part of that process. I think what you said before about how people learn, how the museum learns about these objects and just about these concepts that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It was really exciting in the Arctic. Nadia Jekinski from Homer, Alaska, she was the person who, who gave us the ideas about colonialism in the Arctic, but she's also an art historian and she talked about these masks that really not, not many people had any content for. And, and she talked to indigenous people in Alaska, and it, it was a whole different way of learning. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's going to become so mm -hmm. much more of the process. Mm -hmm. People yeah. from those cultures yeah. going right. and, and yeah. bringing back the knowledge, yeah. not not repeating ethnography, exactly. but, but getting people who are already embedded. Right, not taking it from a book. But right, or, or not just being an other, looking at another, right. you know, yeah. without any prior context. Yeah. Yeah. What gives me incredible hope is that because of all of this time and pressure and heat on indigenous population, we are hard to perish and the ones who remain are like the descendants of the hardest ones, you know? Exactly. Um, and so I think it's going to take a long time. I'm, I'm comfortable never living in that perfect relationship, um, but I love seeing in my lifetime that this conversation is, is moving open. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'm down to wait it out. Well, I'm, That's so I'm, great. But I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you the changes that have occurred in this field, or just just the way institutions and indigenous peoples are redefining um, how to deal with all of this, how to present it, how to, it's, it, the change is enormous in a really relatively short period of time. Yeah. And it's, and it's a trajectory, it's not going to stop, mm -hmm. it's going to continue. Well, no, I mean, and, and it's, once again, a part of that continuum, living in the Southwest, making Native art under those contexts. The whole notion of Native art was driven externally. It was driven by collectors, you know what I'm saying? And literally, those collectors from like 30s, 50s, 80s, like those collections are flooding the market right now. I don't know how many collectors have died and their children have no interest in their collection. And so now this work is coming out and, and Every museum is pretty much full of pots. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, right. that's all the pots we can get now. But I watched that affect 
artists who are living, working today because work that they made 20 years ago is coming out on the secondary market and it's undermining these economies. Sure. And so the institutions, because of that floodedness, are now starting to think like, wait, what is native art? Like we, we thought it was what it was because we were going off of what the collector decided, which is where this is you know, acquired and housed and hidden, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a phenomenon of the art world in general. Oh, too. I mean, native art is a canary for these things. I uh, see that unfolding. <laughs> it's incredible. And it's lived and died. That canary has lived and died. Uh, and yeah. so that, that's why... One question I have um, for the Met, I guess, is now that we have uh, the Diker here and we're thinking about the ongoingness of indigenous cultures and artists, is the Met Boyer, is, is the Diker, people who involved in the Diker collection also in conversation with the contemporary curation and bringing indigenous artists as like now it's kind of yeah, has it's yeah, it's, it's feeding yeah. to other parts of the they just acquired Wendy Red's stories didn't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And through programming as well. I'm, I mean I think one of the one of the points that I wanted to just respond to, to what you just said is around sort of the changes are also happening within the institution. Mm -hmm. So no longer is sort of the Met and other institutions these closed places. Mm -hmm. I think there's a value that we understand that is in dialogue and tra transparency that is coming, that this exhibition really is bringing to the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really important. That is yeah, really important. This is one of my favorite quotes. This is how, this is how we survive. That's cool. Yeah. All of us. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Is that adaptation. Mm -hmm. After everything went up, we were thinking, oh, this quote should have been at the end, you know. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. But there is so there is a linear way that No, there is really yeah, isn't, really because okay. we find too. that 50% of the people come in one way, 50% the other. Uh -huh. Yeah, we came in the other way. <laughs> and then come and see this one. <laughs> We're so lucky right now. Just isn't this thing social so media too. just like blew my mind I know this is tagged I tried to add people to the video I'm waving at them trying if they're not like Jackson is watching I wave John P. Lukovic who's from the Denver Art Museum is watching and I think how much of that is not true just for us, but for everybody? And do we do we not still make have a closer connection to that than the Western colonized line? Because you know they've been colonized a lot longer than anybody else, you know. And I think a lot of our a lot of our trauma and the I guess like the turbulence of our of our time right now is a direct response to how do I belong? I have a hole inside of me, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and owning things doesn't seem to fill it, you know? And like, we're extracting all of this stuff. I don't know, it's, it's interesting. more than someone else. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing that's so wonderful about meeting you, you're such ambassadors because you're both so articulate. You know, it's I'm almost 40 years old. Like, we should be able to talk by now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work that. It doesn't work that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I teach, so yeah, that definitely really helps teacher. me. Yeah. I have to defend my work every day. Yeah, I have to defend my work as well. So. Do you teach at the Whitney? I teach at the new school. At the new school. Yeah, right. yeah. I teach both fine arts and I teach in the first year program. So I teach them, which is a very experimental program, and it brings together research and a creative practice. And then eventually those students will go on to architecture, interior design, fine arts, writing, um, curatorial practices. Um, but really, I just kind of teach them how to do field work. I do the studio portion, so I teach them how. I brought them here to study the American wing, um, to think about it in anticipation of the Diker collection coming, and then obviously we'll be sharing this with them. Um, and talking about what are the responsibilities of uh, our institutions and how can we interact with them. I definitely, if they want to come back, let us, I mean, together as a group. Yeah, I will, if we can do a follow-up, yeah. 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 I hope that didn't sound condescending when I said about how articulate you were. You guys are amazingly articulate. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's, it's a gift. Yeah. It is, and it's part of our education, I think, the fact that we've both gone through the system in some ways. So, yeah. That doesn't always work either. That doesn't always work either. <laughs> We have, and yes, that's, that's and so we'll continue to think about that. I mean, the work I did with the Whitney was very brief, but also in thinking about the way that they're approaching collecting contemporary indigenous mm -hmm. art, is very different than what the Met mm -hmm. is doing mm -hmm. with the Diker collection, but um, I know that they're researching, and I've introduced Maricel to um, the people at the Whitney, but... I left because I had to move on. This was incredible. This was incredible. And you're welcome for our perspective. Yeah. <laughs> so fortunate we all got to meet him. <laughs> this was, um, I leave in a couple of hours. Yeah, so he's like, taking oh, off in a plane yeah, yeah. in a few hours. Um, and we just did a project in New Mexico. So, well, not together, but we were part of the same exhibition talking about land rights and knowledge and sighted knowledge uh, in, the, in New Mexico. So, um, yeah, we were thank visitors. you. Is this just happenstance that you showed up, or did you come because... No, we're, we, we were here yesterday, uh -huh. and we wanted, we will probably leave tomorrow, mm. and we wanted to have one last sweep through the gallery. To we see, are so lucky. Oh to my God. see if, uh, you know, a label needed to be better lit, or mm -hmm. just, just the final suite. And so you're going back to the Nelson Atkins, and will you continue to do work with this exhibition, or that's it? You're done. We're the guest curators for this project. Okay. And then I know that the Met is looking to hire a curator. Parenthetical references I've got a day job. Somewhat or the people. But this was a, I, I believe, Navajo. When we opened our galleries at the Nelson Atkins, I think out of like I think it can we play. Native American adjacent to American is because something I believe in very much. That's why I agree. That's one thing that I was. Nelson Atkins has done some amazing work. Have you been there? I haven't been there, but I've been looking from afar. 
And then we got, we got one great Shemesh basket. Oh, really? I would love to come see that. Not as good as the one you saw the coin I haven't seen it yet. I have to go and look at that. I might, I might cry. And I think mine it's hard to tell with Chumash uh, language yeah. is very hard to tell. Into, yeah. It's actually the, the graphic <laughs> elements are almost like elements of language. They're all different and they all move on in a different way. Right, really right. Yeah, and I'm sure you've looked at like the Chumash cave drawings and you know thinking about also that like construction of space. You know, you're thinking about it from an art historian's perspective, understanding the construction of space. That construction of space of Chumash painting is so mind-boggling to me. It doesn't follow any of the logic that we think of in Western art at all. This is like Apache. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a language and a lot yeah, of it's it's all its own. That would be an interesting have, conversation to yeah, have, well, uh, unpacking that spatial... That's why this is such an exciting time. I think there are so many conversations that are beginning to open up in all uh, a good part of it is the engagement of native peoples with what we do in museums. Um, I mean, even in this installation, when we were talking with our advisors, uh, you know, lady, Brian Bio, about the woman's cape, there was information coming out for the very first time that uh, you will not find in any publication. Thank you guys for letting me. Well, I look forward to getting the catalog. Get the catalog. Studying that. Yes. Don't study it, but you can edit <laughs> no, it and send I, it back I, yeah. to me. But, uh, <laughs> I'll send you back you know, an, it's, it's, an uh, edited copy of the catalog. Yeah. <laughs> Not that we could edit it, I mean. You could. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. We're very happy and lucky, and we've learned a lot about what this exhibition is doing and how it came together and how it's changing the Met, which is, mm -hmm. to me, really incredible. There's a great bunch yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. And they're deeply committed to this. Yeah, they're excited. Yeah, I've met Sylvia once before. Um, I'd love to talk to her about the rest of the American community. Yeah. Yeah. She'd be open to yeah, that. She yeah, she seems very open. Right. Thank, Thank you. Travel well. Oh, hey, look, I was wondering where I lost that. Yeah, don't worry about it. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. Have a safe trip. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, I think what are we going to do? Let's look at the stuff. Get offline. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Hold on. All right. We're signing off. Thank you. We're going to actually look at the work. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this. Bye. <laughs>